When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, welcome to a special live recording of the Autosport podcast from the GP Racing Fan Village at Whittlebury Park. Give us a wave, everyone sitting outside. Your enthusiasm is palpable. Uh, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there's been an awful lot of lobsterage out there today. Sun's out, guns out. Uh, we're right next to Silverstone. I'm Stuart Codling. I'm standing in for Ariana Bravo, who's our regular host. Uh, she's in the F1 broadcast bubble this weekend, therefore unable to join us on site. And now... Uh, obviously, the big story of the day here at Silverstone was the debut of the new sprint qualifying format, uh, a 17-lap thrash, as Marcus Pye would call it. Uh, and there were some clear winners and losers. Uh, Lewis Hamilton may have established himself as the Pirelli speed king yesterday, probably enjoying some sort of rubberized trophy for that. Uh, and he went fastest in the pre-sprint qualifying qualifying, as we, recall, as we refer to that session. Uh, but Max Verstappen nailed him at the start of the sprint, and that was that. Uh, Elsewhere, it's easy to take a broad view of who the main winners and losers today were. Uh, Fernando Alonso, Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen uh, were winners. Uh, Losers, Sergio Perez and Carlos Sainz. Uh, Other drivers shuffled around a bit. McLaren's gained one place each. I know the people outside are loving McLaren. I can see an Alfa Romeo t-shirt, though. That's unusual. Uh, Esteban Ocon, uh, three places, which is uh, pretty good. And Kimi Raikkonen fans can breathe a sigh of relief because today's result means their hero has not been out-qualified by Antonio Giovinazzi. Joining me to digest this historic event are our Director of Digital Strategy, Jess McFadden. Hi. Jess, you're looking radiant. I understand you've been in a hot lap today. I, I did. I was treated very kindly by Pirelli to a uh, Mercedes-AMG GT 
lap around Silverstone, which was new for me. Um, very enjoyable. Who was driving? Adam Christodoulou. Oh. Yeah, who, was, who did exactly as he promised me before I got in the car and sent it sideways a lot um, in order to try and terrify me. But I think it was just so much fun that I kind of forgot to do too much screaming. So I feel like he was a bit disappointed when we jumped out, but it was thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, yeah had how, a great time. How tall is he nowadays? Because I've not actually clapped eyes on him since he was in karting. He's, uh, he's taller than me. Uh. So that's a win, I guess, for him. Um, yeah, I would say reasonably sized, probably about five foot eight, maybe. Uh, he's probably going to kill me for getting <laughs> that wrong. Has but. he still got hair? Is it Ricky that's, um, uh, it's all gone? Um, he's he's short. He's, he's sporting a aerodynamic look, shall uh, we say? Yeah, like me. yeah, yeah. Speaking of hair, um, joining us also from uh, behind a plastic box, uh, cashier number three, please. It's uh, it's Autosports Grand Prix editor Alex Kalinorkas. Hello, Codders. Hello, everybody at Whittlebury, and hello, listeners to the Autosport podcast. Yes, um, apologies for the sound of my voice. First of all, I was, uh, I, this is my voice, there's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> but I am quite muffled because on the condition of my past to be uh, going into Silverstone to cover the British Grand Prix, um, things are different. I am technically in the bubble, so we're having to maintain that bubble throughout the recording, which means plastic screens, the bubble is maintained. How successful do we think sprint qualifying was obviously Verstappen versus Hamilton we now see we we, we watched uh, a little bit of Ted's Ted Kravitz's post not qualifying notebook earlier and um, he attempted to put Ross Braun in a bit of a headlock and uh, say well you know shoulda woulda coulda and all that sort of thing and Ross did his usual well what are we going to see Ted is and he basically didn't really answer the question, did he? He, he? he, in effect, said, well, if today had been a race, then Lewis would have lost it. Which, we saying, in, in actual fact, it was kind of a race, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, obviously, Lewis got a bit of wheel spin at the start, and that was it. I mean, Jess, w- w- what did you make of that in terms of the spectacle and where it, w- where it leaves the actual feat of achieving pole position, which seems to be the, the, the massive hot topic this weekend? Yeah, absolutely, and also how we refer to it. They're very much obsessed with how we're referring to it. I, I don't know if people are making it overcomplicated or F1 are making it overcomplicated. But anyway, I had a kind of typical F1 fan approach to sprint racing, which I meant that I was nervously excited, completely and utterly hyped to see something new, but then in equal measure, cynically uh, prepared to be disappointed. Um, and... To be honest with you, I the jury is still out, in my opinion. I am very much one of those people that I don't want to judge this format based on one outing, um, especially around a track like Silverstone. I think it's quite a tricky track to really judge a sprint race because, as we saw, uh, in terms of it being the battle for pole position for the race, as soon as Verstappen dropped Hamilton out of DRS, it was game over. And there's just no way um, that Hamilton really could find the answer to that in 17 laps. So, in that in that way, I think, you know, it's very much a... Uh, is it fair? I don't know, because the other side of me was saying that actually what this does allow for a lot of the other drivers is if they are potentially not so hot or the team is not so hot on a Saturday, uh, in a usual Saturday during uh, normal qualifying, they get this second chance to show actually maybe where they deserve to be in a more racier position, which ultimately 
personally for me as an F1 fan, as I will keep referring to myself, um, I, I watch F1 predominantly for racing and seeing the best racers up where they should be performing um, and going wheel to wheel and providing us with a ton of entertainment. So in that respect, for the, for the front of the field, for me, maybe it was a bit of a flop. But um, we have a different pole sitter from the qualifying we saw yesterday, which gives us a bit more uh, of a narrative for the rest of the weekend. And what we also saw was, as we keep seeing in races, this amazing midfield battle that completely and utterly changes the order from what we might see over a single lap shootout. So I think what we saw today, and I'm sure we're going to go into it in more detail than my kind of uh, top line uh, overview of it, but um, we did see kind of all of, uh, or at least most of the um, areas that we were maybe concerned about, i.e. crashes, incidents, drivers maybe not finishing where they ought to. Um, But we also saw amazing uh, feats like Fernando Alonso's jump at the beginning, which again, like, you know, maybe Fernando Alonso could qualify up there um, on on a normal qualifying uh, setup, but it was very exciting to watch. And I think if, if the weekend has more action in it, then fans should be suitably impressed. But I will not call whether that was a success or not a success until we see it around a different track like a Monza, um, uh, where you know the the kind of the the layout and the length of a lap might actually give us more racing. Alex, what do you make of uh, sprint qualifying? In isolation, the race because of course it was a race. We're not just going to call it a sprint. Although I think I think I yeah uh, I conceded to sprint qualifying race in the introduction of motorsport.com race report. Uh, it was okay. It was pretty decent Formula One race. Very interesting at the start. Front two got away. Showed again why they're the top two drivers in the field. And they were untroubled from there. I think um, there's a, a lot made of our oh, Red Bull told Verstappen to keep off the curbs. Therefore, it's going to be, you know, they're going to be up against it in the race tomorrow. I think that's, that's not, definitely not a given. Um, but I think the main takeaway in terms of was sprint qualifying a success is that it is too early to tell. And I know that's an annoying caveat. And it's not just because... We do need to have more evidence and more of these events to, to, to definitely quantify that. But also it's because what happens in the race tomorrow? Now, it will be a success if Lewis Hamilton is the faster driver, is better at tyre management, and I'm really sorry it's going to be a big old tyre management race tomorrow, especially in those really hot temperatures, warmer tomorrow. More guns out, no doubt, Codders. Um, but if he can battle by Max Verstappen, as opposed to just pulling away from him, had he been starting from pole position that he claimed on Friday night then it, it is a success in a small way. Um, ladies and gentlemen outside the Orangery, um, I feel that maybe we should propose a small drinking game that every time someone uses the words tyre management, uh, you have to drink, and I can see you, so please make sure you do. <laughs> sloshed, then. They are going to be sloshed. <laughs> well, do you know, it, it, it keeps Silverstone in business. Um, tyre strategies were maybe not as important as... People thought. I know some of the drivers had been a bit negative about how the race would pan out. Only four drivers, I think, started on the soft tyre. So it's maybe a little bit early to the failure of that. I mean, um, Alex, what, what did you make, particularly of, of Alonso and Raikkonen, gained so many places on the opening lap? Um, how much of that was down to the soft tyre advantage and how much of that was down to them just being canny veterans who know exactly how to maximise an advantage and, and kind of just nail it on that lap 
where it was a little bit of from column A and a, li- and a rather more a lot, I think, from column B. I think, yeah, the soft tyres definitely would have provided a nice launch off the line for them. Didn't quite work out for Valtteri Bottas, starting from third, but nevertheless, I think that was a, a good roll of the dice for Mercedes, just didn't really work out. Um, but yeah, I think we see this quite regularly. I mean, what the, the two-lap sprint at the end of the Baku race, Fernando Alonso, absolutely sensational. And uh, we've, talked, uh, we've talked a little bit about this with Williams in recent races, because George Russell, we know he has a historical weakness in terms of his race starts. It's through all the way through his junior career is evidenced in Formula 1 and there Williams's point is that well he just needs to get on this sort of spiral of positivity have a few decent starts and then it will become less of an issue but at the same time Dave Robson the head of uh, head of uh, Williams his point is also that the more experienced drivers the Fernando Alonso's the Kimi Raikkonen's they regularly make amazing starts because of that experience because it's something that they just have the confidence to do and Alonso was terrific that sweeping around the outside at Abbey at turn one fantastic and then obviously got amongst it uh, with the McLarens with Perez and then um, was was a bit naughty with his weaving for the rest of the race, but it, it was a great spectacle. I mean, Jess, you know, you you, you talked about speaking from the pan the pan perspective, the fan perspective earlier. <laughs> Good thing. A ter- I, I I shan't mention the name of Robin Hood's uh, uh, ecclesiastical sidekick. Um, on that note, um, does do you think that the possibility of certain cars being out of position in that in that fashion does 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 that mean sprint qualifying is has axiomatically been a bit of a success in terms of boosting the spectacle and interest yeah i think you know again i agree with alex that i don't know if we can judge it until we see the race tomorrow because again we're going to have another race start we're going to have another race scenario and um that kind of leaves a lot of factors to be still determined i mean it's interesting for us as uh, in terms of if we're looking at it in isolation it was great to see those just connecting to see um you know sorry to perez fans but perez bin it and, and dropped to the bottom and and russell and sites having their coming together which i think we're still waiting on that investigation yeah, I'm keeping it's not my eye on yet. my phone to see if the stewards document does land but um, yeah no you could have breaking news coming in on this live uh, podcast but yeah it, it, it was interesting it, it, it gives another another chance as, as kind of I was saying at, at, at the top of the show about you know, giving those drivers that are typically maybe more racier than they are quick over one lap, it gives us an, another narrative to maybe judge them on rather than having in isolation one shot over one lap and then a race, which often the first uh, can make or break the latter, as it's meant to, because that is how we've been racing. Um, so, yeah, I think it's definitely added to the spectacle. It's added to the narratives that we're going to be taking away from this weekend. I'm sure it's going to give um, certain drivers a kind of different look in than we, we maybe do. I mean, I can't wait to see how Alex is going to rank the drivers in our autosport driver I mean, rankings. Perez at the moment is, is not. might not even get two at this rate. <laughs> I love, I Me- swear. Messed up qualifying and then spun because he couldn't follow a McLaren. As yeah. we get like further and further into the season, I feel like you would just have less and less patience with uh, certain drivers, which is uh, great. She great means Kimi Raikkonen for anybody wondering. <laughs> I've been enjoying our editorial uh, editorial team chats when uh, you're considering the uh, the rankings. Um, but yeah, so I think in that in case, another element, isn't it? So, I mean, I'm interested to hear what you think, Codders. What about the narrative? Well, mm. um, I, I, w- I was kind of, it, rather like Natalie and Brudy, I was a little torn um, in the... Uh, there's a, 
favourite karaoke song, by the way. No, we're not doing karaoke, but just oh, as an aside. Disappointment. Maybe want to put in the in the box for next year <laughs> a bit of karaoke. Alex making his usual Heathrow moment gesture because it's one of my. Yeah, I've heard well, you made that joke before, though. So I I, I recognise the joke. I just don't get what it means. <laughs> Do you know that's even made podcast Martin laugh in the corner there because he's heard that joke twenty million times. He's had to edit it out of various podcasts twenty million times. But anyway, I will laboriously come to the point. Um, obviously, cars being out of position does make it interesting. However, we have this kind of quite spicy battle between Ferrari and McLaren at the moment, and Alonso's presence just drove a massive wedge between them on track. Obviously, Carlos by his little tap from George Russell at the beginning, but um, you know Charles Leclerc was out on his own for much of that race. He described it as a lonely race because obviously he didn't have the papaya orange posse on his tail because... This uh, this season is that, lo- and, and last season I think he's 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 had off, uh, often races in a lowly, uh, lowly, lonely uh, P four, hasn't he? How's your vocal range? Or bar- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he no, right? No, I now regret bringing up karaoke because that is not happening. Sorry, uh, it's distracted me massively. <laughs> we can we see do, what our repertoire might be. But anyway, but yeah, it it, it is. In- it's so it's it's kind of. Two steps forward, two steps back, as, as, as another uh, song went back in the day. Uh, I, I loved, <laughs> I, I I loved the look on Alex's face. He was mad. Because <laughs> years ago, when, when Alex was hosting the podcast, this sort of thing would have ended up on in the cutting year. room floor. But, uh, <laughs> and rightly ago. so. <laughs> it just go, that's not going to make the edit. Um, the, the Alonso battle with Ricardo in particular was spectacular because obviously Dan made what you might call slightly heavy weather getting past him compared with Lando and then once he did get past him uh, Fernando was right, right back at him and that was proper racing wasn't it that was that was more spectacular than we've seen quite a while actually was yeah I mean there was no consideration for preserving the tyres they were just having it was great it was it was really a really neat battle from uh, from Ricardo you know he he overtook Alonso slightly differently to how Norris did it but he was sort of started at village and as you say Alonso battled back but yeah what a what, what a tremendous little race there but I did think um I did think Alonso was a touch a touch uh, naughty with his defending I think the FIA yeah, did have a word towards the end of the race I was gonna say I was quite shocked that we didn't get a little uh, What's it called on the screen? A little, a little yeah. graphic popping up to say uh, this is being looked at because it was just. I, I mean, I laughed because it was genuinely quite funny the length to which he was weaving and how much he was weaving. I was like, "Is this? Are we? Is he? Does he know what he's doing? Of course, he knows what he's doing. He's Fernando Alonso." But yeah, it was. It was that that battle for me was the entire highlight of the entire of the entire sprint race. Sprint qualifying. Sorry, I'm going to get told off for what I'm calling Ross Braun can't get it right because he he used the wrong name for it. I can already feel like Alex giving me daggers for calling it the wrong thing. No, I know you're you're not like that at all. But yeah, it was was amazing. It was great to see. And I think that's what I mean about, you know, Daniel Ricciardo is one of the drivers that we bring up regularly this season for not being able to keep on his teammate who is having probably one of the best seasons of all the drivers on the on the grid, at least the most um, consistent. And um, it gives him another to show Daniel Ricciardo is an amazing driver. So in that respect, it's 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 great for those drivers. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was amazing to see, even if it was a little naughty. The 
it, it, it's been interesting to see the response of the drivers because obviously it's not been uniformly positive. Some drivers have been quite critical of the sprint qualifying format. Uh, Sebastian Vettel said it shouldn't determine Stappen, even even after winning that sprint qualifying race, race sprint qualifying, whatever we're going to call it, uh, this particular time around the houses. Um, he was still quite negative about it. Lewis was pretty positive. So, I mean, do, is this a case, do you think, Alex, that more data is required, the drivers need to get, get more. Definitely. And I also think that getting a sense of just watching the Sky F1 interview ahead of, uh, ahead of this recording outside on the big screen, um, that Ross Braun seems to sort of be suggesting, oh, well, we could still change things. And I really, really hope that extends to changing the pole position record, the official statistic, because it's an absolute travesty that Lewis Hamilton does not have pole position for the British Grand Prix in terms of the statistic. Because that qualifying session on Friday night was brilliant and he performed exceptionally well and took complete advantage of uh, Max Verstappen being unable to get temperature into his front tyres. So if little things can be tweaked and maybe that will help the drivers, maybe uh, Vettel, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a big sort of uh, um, fan of the traditions of Formula Ones, things like that. Maybe that will make them more positive about that. So yeah, let's just keep, you know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, why are you banging on things that are banging on about things that are a bit sort of pointless and, and blah, 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 and statistics and, you know, ye olde problems and whatever. But <laughs> it is important, these things. And people do care about it. And, you know, I think Formula One, you know, I think Formula One is sort of suggesting it's the FIA make you want to have clear distinctions between this spring qualifying race and the Grand Prix. But if we keep banging the drum, hopefully there'll be some positive outcomes from it. And maybe that'll make the drivers do, do the same. If there's little things that they don't like, if they're vocal and they're critical... Helps us on our stories and our magazines and our websites, and maybe they'll get what they want as well. The it, it is a very interesting subject, the statistical thing, isn't it? Because obviously, the, the way we look at pole position is it is the ultimate expression of the guy who is the fastest driver on the day. But obviously, there you know there are some quite loud voices on social media and presumably in the paddock as well, um, expressing opinions as they do, who say that well, actually. It's the FIA who decide who's on pole position when they, on Sunday morning, send the little email out saying who's at, what the actual starting grid is. So it is actually possible to qualify on pole, but then lose three positions because of penalty or something. Um, so where are we at with this discussion? Is, is that a pointless piece of hair splitting, do we think, to say the FIA sets pole position? It's interesting, isn't it? Because it has made us think, oh, actually, who does decide what pole means it does it mean the fastest driver uh, over one lap or does it mean the driver who starts the race from p sunday um and obviously there's two very distinct camps um but it, it shows it's like alex was, alex was saying these statistics are very important to the history it's, it's how we try to refer back to previous drivers and try and find some semblance of you know continuity or being able to compare because obviously as human beings we're obsessed with pairing and comparisons between eras and drivers and is there a greatest of all time and ordinarily the first thing that we turn to when we're trying to decide the greatest of all time argument which I'm not sure there should be a greatest of all time if I'm saying uh, my piece but that's not what this podcast is about um, 
that is the number one thing we turn to, right? Like we say statistically, Lewis Hamilton is the most successful F1 driver of all time. That is an important part of Formula One, Formula One's makeup. So I guess to then say, turn around and go, well, actually, it's the FIA who decides pole position anyway, and therefore whomever starts from P1, it's been a sprint qualifying or um, a, a more traditional qualifying format, then. I don't know, it loses some of its romance, doesn't it? And I think that's what's really important to Formula One. Like Formula One is a very emotional uh, uh, racing series. Uh, I mean, motorsport in general is a very emotive, historical um, uh, sport. So I guess like that would be f- almost taken away to me. So I think that's why people are getting quite passionate about it. And as you say, Vettel is so supremely caught up in the history of Formula One, which is a, a really lovely thing to watch when you're watching a modern day driver. Um, so yeah, I think that's why people are quite upset about it. Alex, your, your take on statistics. Is, is, is it, can we add the caveat? That's, that's, caveat is another word where uh, our audience are required to take a drink in the drinking game. Um, should we add the caveat that the FIA merely ratifies pole position mm. and it's the fastest driver on in the qualifying session who sets it? Absolutely, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I think it, it's it's just going to... It just seems to me that it's so easy to have created another category for another little stat. I mean, Formula One is this high-tech sport that's all about these little important bits of information and data and things like that and just changing it for sort of soulless reasons of, well, we're... It's, you know, whatever we could have to put a penalty, apply, things like that. It's the person at the front of the grid. It just doesn't really feel right. I mean, you think back to Michael Schumacher at Monaco in 2012. He's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, he's not credited with that pole position because of his grid penalty. Yet, what a fantastic bit of driving to put the Mercedes, which is not the dominant car at that point, on pole around Monaco. So, it was a, yeah, it just leaves a bad taste in the mouth, I would say. If we sort of... Turn down. If we look further down the, the the finishing order or the starting order of tomorrow, obviously we've we've covered Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Um, shall we consider the tragic case of Valtteri Bottas, who uh, Christian Horner fetched out his wooden spoon during the Channel Four broadcast and furiously started stirring the pot by saying Mercedes have thrown Valtteri under the bus by making him start on soft tyres, uh, which. You know, I could be wrong, but that turned out to be a load of old cock, didn't it, basically? Because it was absolute nonsense. I did think when I saw Bottas starting on the soft tyres, I was like, well, the Mercedes does not like him. Like, is he actually upset something? <laughs> but no, it's that, it, you know, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a particularly outrageous decision because I think there is, I think with the race tomorrow, it's going to be a one-stopper and it will be medium to hard. But the other alternative, the sort of offset alternate strategy would be actually start on the softs. And you would do probably around about 17 laps anyway. So it's not, it wasn't an outrageous move. If anything, it was, a, it was a sensible move to get the car that was behind the Red Bull ahead. And I think it, it, it's kind of something that we tend to see uh, Red Bull split strategies more. Um, it, and, and that's... It, I guess maybe it's a point of where we're at in this season in the constructors. Like Mercedes are trying everything to try and take it to Max Verstappen, and so yeah, I, I think I was similar. I, I was did a similar take of like really soft. Oh, this could go wrong. Um, but at the same time, we saw how well that worked for Fernando Alonso and how well that worked for Kimi Raikkonen. Okay, it's a completely different battle that they're taking than, than they're, they're having at the front of the of the pack but it's it's just again I to me looking back on it it was I mean he still finished p3 
so no love lost there like that's that's fine um and um you know it's again I, I just took it as mercedes trying defying um an alternate strategy for one of their drivers which is something that maybe we we didn't see as much of when they were so dominant so you know we know that and correct me if i'm wrong alex because you are the uh the sector person analysis person usually for a you know practice quality and all that when you're doing your um reports but it looked to me that maybe the Mercedes were doing more sprint race simulations on Friday. They seem to be quite nervous. Or maybe not. Maybe nervous is the wrong take. Maybe that's my kind of take uh, from a, a subjective point of view. But they really wanted to try this, right? They really wanted to succeed. So I don't see that as a... I think that's just a classic Christian Horner playing mind games. I think, um, I think they were surprised to end up ahead of Verstappen in qualifying. Uh, the session I got, actually, was that it was Red Bull, particularly in FP2, which was, uh, maybe we'll talk about this quite as I don't know, but completely meaningless in terms of, <laughs> even, there, was, there was almost no point to it at all. Um, although, yeah, I disagree with Max Verstappen, who's, who's come out with that and said, well, we shouldn't, well, if we're going to do this sprint qualifying format, we should just give up with FP2. And I think, well, actually, there's a lot of people who've paid a lot of money to see Formula 1 cars go around the track, so don't take that away from them, just because you can't change the full setup of the car. So I think, you know, you can still learn something about anything, let's face it. Um, but yeah, I think... Um, I think, yeah, Mercedes are surprised to be ahead. They know their updates have helped them, not a lot. Um, and it's just, yeah, I think they were just, just trying whatever they could in the sprint race and, and, and we'll see how that pays them back tomorrow. I think we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to the, the wider area of the shape of, of, of the Grand Prix weekend uh, a little bit later. I think be, be before we move on to that, shall we consider the curious case of George Russell um, having, having sort of gone through the rest of the, sort of the top 10 we've, we've, we've covered Charles Leclerc should have been there with Carlos Sainz, arguably, but that didn't happen. Nice, you know, what a, a net one move forward for Lando Norris, Daniel Ricciardo. Great race by Fernando Alonso. Also, pretty under the radar, good race by Sebastian Vettel. Uh, but then George obviously had that. <coughs> uh, pardon my uh, coughing. It's not catching. It's an old one. Um, he sort of had a slightly, a slightly clumsier opening lap than some of the veterans did now is this a part of the craft that George needs to develop because we've we've looked at his starts in the past so I, I don't want to be one of these people that says oh well you know he just does terrible house always goes backwards at the start you know it's just a captive out of that drivers do develop is, is that an aspect of his craft that he needs to uh, work on I'd say there's there's two elements to it one yes he does we know he needs to improve but also he struggles a lot because the Williams car and the package itself struggles when running in the dirt. It struggles in the wind. It's just very, very sensitive. And also, we know that George has, has talked about this, something that he himself admits he needs to improve on, is getting the warm-up lap tyre preparation completely right. Because I think he feels it's a little bit hit and miss. They know the procedures. It's just sometimes it just doesn't come off quite as well as it could at Williams. So, you know, we saw it in, uh, in I think it was in France, in the French Grand Prix, he was particularly talking about that, that that's why he fell backwards, and then he had his amazing race from there. So I think it's a little bit of, yeah, he does need to get better at certain things involving the start and the first lap, but also he's not helped by his car because he didn't have a problem on the first lap of the Sakir Grand Prix. He was, he was straight into the lead, launched it off the line. I mean, Bottas was pretty woeful and often is woeful at the starts. But then I also say in Bottas' defence, I think the Mercedes has a little bit of a starting difficulty, which we saw with Lewis Hamilton today, because he's come out and said, I hit all my targets on the clutch. He thinks, you know, it's a perfectly good start, but there's something about that Mercedes system, I've long suspected this, that's just a little bit not quite as good. 
just comes down to these tiny margins, doesn't it, Jess? That it, it's it's that final little one percent, the the small differences that. But even between little systems like that, the way the clutch actuates can make a huge difference in terms of getting a load of wheel spin or not. And that's Formula One, right? Like we always talk about those fractions. Everything has to come together. And sometimes it's not fair. People would say it's not fair because, you know, if George Russell is this wonder kid that everybody says and he's Mr. Saturday and then Mr. Friday and everybody's hoping that he's going to bag his points for Williams uh, tomorrow and, and get that top 10 finish that he so desperately uh, has been tantalizingly close to on a number of occasions but at the end of the day like that is Formula One you know we know that's the case we know certain cars have quirks and certain drivers need to adapt to certain um, aspects of those cars or driving styles that they need um, but that is formula 1 and and to kind of say well you know you know we can like alex rightly points out it's something that we will point out and say well you know maybe don't judge him so harshly because there is this and he is battling with this it's the same with daniel ricardo we've sp- spoken about him before you know there's something about that mclaren that isn't quite right for him but it's formula one they have this is some th- these are all things that drivers have to overcome and the greats seem to be able to midge it but you know as, as we said lewis got a bad start today and it's cost him pole position um so, yeah, I think it's just, it's just case in point of the nature of Formula One. Yeah, Lando says in the latest edition of GP Racing, heavy plug drop there, uh, that, uh, you know, you, that, that there comes a time when you basically have to learn to unlock the potential in a car and, and not complain about it and just learn what makes it tick. So he's been focusing his efforts on adapting to it. And he, he says it's a quick car, just takes a little bit more work to extract that speed. Uh, and sort of, which... which Comment leads me neatly to Esteban Ocon, who has a new chassis this weekend. And, uh, you know, from the outside, you actually have to scrutinise the data very carefully to see the difference. He finished the sprint qualifying not race, uh, race just behind George Russell. Um, He says that that the change has been transformative. So I suppose the question now is how how much of that change is purely psychological and, and Esteban needed that little arm around the shoulder in the form of a new bit of carbon fibre just to reassure him that, you know, he was actually still a great driver and um, it, it wasn't the car stabbing him, in, or, or it was just some magic in the car. So some drivers are actually weirdly superstitious, aren't they? I think, you know, that the, the way everything was presented in terms of that sort of backs that up in terms of there was a bit of, like, reluctance to discuss what was really going on in Austria. You sort of detected in his quotes, he was like, yeah, we've seen what it is, but I can't really... Now's not the right time to talk about it. He came out and said, well, we're going to make loads of changes, including a new chassis, and on the face of it it's worked so potentially maybe it is that big psychological boost or at the same time could have been something generally needed to happen but um yeah it, it's certainly been transformative you say god is yeah the, the um jess what, what do you think about the psychological side of it do you, do you think that sometimes just drivers do need to be indulged a little bit if if they've become convinced that they have that there's something wrong with their equipment. They, they need that kind of placebo effect. I mean, the mindset of a driver is something that we're talking more and more about in this kind of modern Formula One. Um, you know, we, we, we speak a lot about the fact that a lot of these drivers have um, performance coaches, that a part of their role now is the psychological side of um, being an athlete and, and performing at this level consistently. I mean, 
potentially for 23 races this season, which is just an insane number of races to, to have to perform at this level and what they physical, um, a physical feat. So I think there, there, there undoubtedly is going to be something in it. Like the, how much of it you can put it down to an increase in performance is a bit of a, a question mark and unknown. But I mean, I think you saw it even with, um, with the British drivers, like the fans, the energy from the fans this weekend, having those packed grandstands. I mean, the cheers that we heard both yesterday and today for every single one of the British drivers was just insane. I mean, it got to me, like it's so emotional. So, I mean, it's, I can only imagine it'd be like, playing a major sporting match I'm not going to mention the Euros but in front of your home crowd right that energy definitely carries you and gives you an advantage so I think something maybe as small as saying it's not all you it is partly the car must then give a boost when you feel everything coming together so yeah I think there must be there must be elements of that to it. Alex, did you detect that energy from the crowd from the windowless media centre? Because you could still hear it. Yeah, definitely. Particularly when uh, George Russell was uh, on setting his amazing lapping in Q2 to get through to Q3, which is an amazing performance. But I think what's also, what's the sort of, it's really interesting because someone like Derek Warwick was saying on the Autosport podcast last week that, yeah, it does give you two tenths, but also it's, you're still doing it. It's still within you. So it's kind of like, it almost works, you know, it's like, well, why am I not getting that? two temps every time but I think it just comes down to certain situations suiting certain humans differently like for me I'm a naturally lazy individual as you can probably tell um, I need the pressure of a deadline sometimes that really I can produce some of my best work when the pressure's on at other times I just completely fall to pieces and it's all terrible and Kevin Turner gets lots of uh, stressed <laughs> and angry whatsapp messages as does podcast Martin um, when we're talking about podcasts but anyway um, but George Russell his point on that is that the weight of expectation of the fans, of his family being in the paddock for the first time since Abu Dhabi team, helped him reach a better level. So it, is, it just works. It, it's that, it just, that psychological thing works in different ways for different people, I guess. Mm. I guess at the end of the day, we are human beings, right? And the, the, even though these... <laughs> yeah, questionable. Um, what planet you're really from. Um, but... I think, you know, we, we are human beings. We're affected by things. And, I mean, I think that's the other reason, and I'm sure it was touched on in um, last night's podcast. But, you know, Lando Norris has come, on, come to this weekend on the back of quite a horrific incident that would shake anyone. I mean, I, unfortunately, not the same thing, and I definitely wasn't wearing anything as valuable as Lando was. But I have... I was mugged at one point, and I've always thought I'm a really strong individual, like, mentally strong, can get over anything. I was in pieces. And, you know, to then have to go and perform at the level that they do of an athlete, and not only just an athlete, like, you're driving a Formula One car. Like, it's just an insane thing for any human to do so you know again just and like I guess props to all 20 drivers um for doing their jobs but you know it's it's (laughs) so which they're well paid um but yeah I think it it is it's going to affect you things like this affect you so I think it it's 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 so it's so much more a part of the of the series and racing now that yeah it's got it's got to as I said have a have a, a big effect I think Indeed it is. Now, uh, before we move on to any other business, um, obviously 
there's a slightly less distinguished tail end of the grid. Uh, AlphaTauri saying worst weekend ever. So that their driver's pretty depressed. Um, but mixed mixed messages from Alpha Romeo. Obviously, Kimi, you know, made a net gain from a sort of slightly humble grid position. Uh, last on the grid tomorrow, as far as we know, so obviously the grid is not determined until Sunday morning, um, Sergio Perez, who had um, what I, I think we can probably describe uh, without um, having the plugs pulled live on air as, as a bit of a head fart uh, in, the, in, in Beckett's. Yeah, he said he's just undone by the dirty air. I think it was nice and that um, But yeah, it's a bad, bad error, really bad error. I mean, as I said, he's already going to be marked down in the driver ratings for messing up his qualifying lap for just running too wide out of Stowe and ends up behind the slower Ferrari on the grid. But yeah, I mean, poor from Perez, really poor. Um, but the good, yeah, he gets the opportunity to recover, which is sort of, you know, there's a, there's a good and a bad point to the sprint race, you know, sort of um, format here in that he has the opportunity to make up for his mistake. So, you know, that's both good and bad, depending on your perspective, but also it should make for a better Grand Prix because he'll be carving through the pack unless he gets some dirty air coming through chapel and then he spin, spins again, <laughs> which could conceivably happen. Yikes. But I guess, I mean, this is kind of what um, I, w- I wanted to touch on, well, what I touched on earlier in the in the show when I was talking about, you know, this, this, this sprint qualifying did give us some of those narratives that we had approached this weekend with in terms of potential concerns for it because, you know, this depending on if you're a Red Bull fan or not, Perez being out of action basically tomorrow for Red Bull is is potentially advantage Mercedes, right? So Red Bull need Perez up there fighting um, with, with Max and now he's completely and utterly useless to them essentially. So, you know, is that a good thing? Is it going to swing the championship back towards Mercedes at least so Red Bull don't run away from it? Would we then see that as a bit of a, well, at least that's changed things? Um, or is it unfair? Because, you know, although Sergio did qualify technically out of position, we would argue, um, it's, it, he could have he been of more use to Red Bull tomorrow and therefore maybe we would have had a, a, a proper battle between Mercedes and Red Bull. So I guess it's all of these things that we're going to say, well, was, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? And I guess it does depend on whether what side of the uh, title fight you sit on in terms of who you want to see out there in the front. I can visualise when Ross Braun and his very clever people have, have their debrief about sprint qualifying. They're going to view the fact that it ended with the, the, a, a driver in arguably the fastest car on the grid starting the race at the back of the grid. He'll take that as a net win, won't he? It's, it's, <laughs> it's ka-ching, basically, as far as F1 are concerned. Um, but... The, the sprint qualifying has had um, an effect on the shape of the rest of the Grand Prix weekend. Now, Alex and I, before we sat down to record this, we were talking about how, Alex, it's, it's affected quite a lot about how you approach a Grand Prix weekend. Like, you would normally be looking at the long... You'd be crunching the numbers from the long runs in FP2 to work out who is actually the quickest car in race trim. You would present that in your Friday evening wrap-up um, on Autosport Plus. And um, as, as some of the drivers have pointed out, FP2 has been rendered a slightly pointless um, session. Obviously, the people who've paid to come here this weekend and watch Formula One cars go around might not agree. But from the point of view of trying to work out who was on what fuel load, who was actually quick, what was actually going on, it, it was a little bit of a nonsense, wasn't it? It was. I should point out, I, am, I have still done the number crunching 
just between um, Mercedes and Red Bull at this stage, because you say, God, it's, it's just pretty pointless working out the the old the whole order if that makes sense but we want to know what's going to happen in in the fight at the front we want you know i think we did we did learn something from fp2 i think i don't know if i said this earlier the suggestion was that red bull maybe focused a little bit on preparing for the sprint race more than mercedes did which maybe meant mercedes was looking more towards the grand prix whether that will favor them and the times do suggest that mercedes have a slight edge on the long run pace and obviously that's extended stints we don't know as say my favorite word caveat you know we've got to to apply all these things um but yeah it I, I don't know. I think I, I would miss FB2 if it, if it were gone. As I say, I think the, the fans at Silverstone would miss that as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it, my Friday feature is, has become a Sunday feature. We're going up on autosport.com plus tomorrow. But, um, yeah, I haven't done what the headline is yet. Got to do some work <laughs> later on. <laughs> Fun Sunday, Saturday night. Jess, from, from your point of view, I don't know where you were watching sprint qualifying, not race, race, but um, where, what, what did you make of it in terms of... Oh, sorry, well, I'm talking absolute rot. It's what... Where, I don't know where you were watching FP2 from, rather, but um, I was I was wandering around the outside of the circuit trying to actually find a spot of um, fence that wasn't already occupied by someone else. Cause it's been a pretty full house this weekend, hasn't it? But I, I couldn't work, work out what was going on from trackside. I was just enjoying watching Formula One cars go by. Yeah, it was a br- just a brilliant photo op, really, wasn't it? It was just a great ex- like chance to, to see cars out on track and grab some footage of them. Um, yeah, I was actually very lucky enough. I was on the inside of Stowe for uh, FP2, taking some snaps. Um, and so, yeah, that I mean, that was enjoyable. But g- genuinely... I think it's also because of the change in times of all the sessions. I've had to remind myself when everything's happening a million times. And we've had, we had that weird intermediary period of just like hours passing and nothing happening and us having, not obviously nothing to do, but just it being extended. And I don't know if that added to the tension before we saw spring qualifying. Um, but yeah, it's been a quite a strange one and, and we've had to, Kind of, I've seen a lot of fans on Twitter having needing needing constant reminding about where are we, what are we doing, what's next, what time are we on, and obviously it's one thing that's been a, a bit of a shame is that I've seen a lot of Australian fans going, well, there is no way we're watching anything this weekend because everything is happening at like three in the morning um, because of the change in time. So that that's quite it's quite an odd one it's felt very alien it has felt very alien and I'd, yeah I don't know how you found it in terms of your usual approach to weekends but it's it's kind of thrown everything up in the air which I guess maybe it's put you on your toes Alex I don't know maybe yeah. it's made you um think differently about Formula One it certainly has definitely on Friday I, I felt the closest I've ever felt to being a Formula One driver which is not very close at all let's face it particularly with my driving Parking's more the problem. Anyway, we, we've never um, shared a hire car, so I can't comment on that. Have we not? Oh, <laughs> you wouldn't like it. I get very stressed. It's I've heard stories ask, from Luke. Ask Luke's mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, I mean, anyway. Um, yeah, w- yeah, only because uh, I have to go trackside, well, trackside in inverted commas at this race because of the COVID bubbles. We can't go properly trackside. I, to, I was just watching um, from the inside of club. Um, just, just, to, just, you know, reflect in the magazine what the 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 flavor of the the weekend was you know the, the atmosphere things like that and also what the cars looked like trackside and it did look like in fp1 at least the ferraris were particularly struggling although they got better when they put the soft tires on anyway what that meant was because of the alternate weekend timetable i hadn't been watching you know the coverage i hadn't been writing a practice report so i just went into qualifying a bit undercooked <laughs> as many drivers <laughs> said they were Worth, and I worth just about got it we done. promise. <laughs> 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 I, still, I still got it in on time. It was all fine. I think it was Lewis Hamilton 
Who got not pole position, right? Yeah, good. good. Yeah. If it's undercooked, just put it back in the oven. That's what I say when you... Uh, that's seven years in the catering industry that coming back to help the catering us, industry. I, I think that's a great place to leave it so we can let uh, our guests here in the GP Racing Fan Village get back to their drinks and back to their diet of Sky Sports F1 on the big screen. Perhaps Ted Kravitz. I imagine him still wandering around talking extemporaneously into the camera, sort of channeling Keith Floyd. So, uh, all for listening. Uh, thanks for listening to the many listeners to the Autosport podcast online and around the world. Thank you, Jess McFadden, for joining us and sharing your insights. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad I could make it on time because the traffic is awful. <laughs> and thank you, Alex Kalanokas. You can now uh, emerge, you can sanitise, you can wipe down your microphone, you can wipe down your head, and you can emerge from behind your cashier number three, please, uh, plastic bubble, and, and stop looking like someone from Only Connect. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you very much to uh, our friend Martin Lee for producing marvellously as ever. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply